0: Joseph, and uh, this is my testimony. Uh, well, um, when I was young, I was raised in the church my whole life, basically, you know, from, like, the first like, I can remember, you know, it was in church, you know, the Bible and everything, but then uh, I kind of, like, I don't know, I just kind of backslid when I was probably 12, you know, my mother had died when I was 10, and, like, I just kind of, like, lost touch with God, really. Because, you know, instead of having God as my foundation, it was sort of like having my mother as my foundation, you know. And, like, once I lost that, I lost connection to God, really. And, uh, yeah, when I was uh, hitting uh, teenage years, you know, like 13, 14, I just started struggling with certain stuff, you know, that usual teenagers struggle with. Like, you know, sexual immorality, uh, anger, you know, just, like, falling into temptation, you know, losing self-control most of the time. And, you know, I just didn't really have God. You know, I had God, but, you know, I didn't really care. And uh, I started going to a youth group, and I didn't take it any seriously. I was, like, 14. And then, uh, you know, I would hear the word. I would hear God. You know, God would be convicting me, but I would just ignore him. And uh, I just stopped going to church, kind of like really. You know, when I did, I didn't really pay attention. And then when I uh, came to uh, MPI and Elevate and all that, I just... uh, I found God again and you know he just began to change me He began to give me patience he began to give me self-control he began to give me self-control you know it was just insane you know what God was doing for me from the the inside out you know and it just God is good you know he really does change you you know he makes you a new person and I just it's really good you know so um, and then this verse really uh it really helped me like throughout this whole my whole really uh walk with God you know and just like he kept telling me you know just it, i just kept going to this verse really um it's first corinthians 10 13 it says no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he would not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with temptations he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it and i took that as in you know God will give you the tools to succeed, you know, he He, he gives you, you him, you know, he gives you the word, you know, it's your decision to take it, God is a gentleman, he will not force himself upon you, so you just have to, you know, make the decision yourself, really, and uh, I wasn't doing that, when I started doing that, you know, you see, you see the works of God, really, so, you know, it's just, it's a testament, really, and, um, Jesus, Lord, Father God, um, I just pray, Father God, for everyone here, Father God. I just pray for the message, Lord, that you speak through Pastor Joe, Father God, that you give them a message, Lord, Father God. You touch everyone here, Father God. You fill them with the Holy Spirit. You fill them with Your Word, Father God, and the knowledge to do good, do Your will, Father God. I just pray, Lord, Father God, that any visitor, any 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 visitor, no matter how old, how young, that they are touched, Lord, Father God, and they begin to realize. Your mission, Father God, for them, Lord Father God, and what they're here on this earth for, and what they're destined to be, Father God, that no one, no one is, no one is, uh, like, just nothing, Lord Father God, everyone has a purpose, everyone is supposed to serve you, Father God, you know, no matter how young, how old, how weird, or anything, Lord Father God, it just doesn't matter, you know. We just have to love you, Lord, and I just pray, Lord, Father God, that you give everyone that is suffering Lord, Father God, with temptation a way out, and that's you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Are
1: you guys ready to party in this place today? Okay, I got about five of you. Are you guys ready to party in this place today? I want you guys to just run up to the front. The first 20 people up here are going to get a special gift. Come on. Come on. Pass these around. We're going to party in this place. We're going to party in this place. Come on. Grab one and pass it around. Why should the devil have all the glow sticks? Now just lift up your hands and wave those around. Come on. Everybody, if you don't have one, just wave your hands. Here, follow me. Ready? We're going to get in sync here. All right, we're almost there. Yeah. (laughs) Woo! Now, when I count to three, I want us to just shout the loudest shout of victory. You guys ready? You guys ready? One, two, three, shout! Sad and pa- Because you are, you are, you are my freedom. We lift you higher, lift you higher. Come on, we're gonna bounce. If you're free in this place, Lift up your hands and praise Him. Because you are, you are, you are. We lift you higher, lift you higher. he been good to you today? Has he been good to you? God, we just want to praise you today. We just want to praise you, God. We just want to join with the angels and the saints and the elders. Lord, we want to join the choir right now. We want to say that you are holy, holy, holy. And you set us apart. You've made us new, a new creation. Able to praise you. We're able to praise you, God. By your spirit, by your might. By your love and by your blood. All the saints and angels bow
2: before the throne,
1: and all the elders cast their crowns before the Lamb of God. you're able right now, and and if you want to, if your heart leads you to do so, why don't you just get on your knees right now and prostrate yourself to a holy God, to an awesome God who loves you, who left heaven, who left everything for you, who is worthy of our praise and our adoration. Let's sing this together. All these saints and
2: angels bow before.
1: praise fill this room with Just start to praise him right now from your spirit, man. Come on, from your spirit, man. Speak in tongues right now. Praise him with your tongue. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. Your people are lending an ear to you. Speak to us, Lord. come on lift up your hands and receive that grace right now receive that grace poured onto you it's free it's free it's free it only costs you to surrender that's all just surrender to him but it's free it's free for you it's free for you Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Father, that you're not ashamed of us. Because you walk with us, you haven't abandoned us. If you were ashamed of us, you would have left us a long time ago. But you're with us, God. You lift us up. All you ask is that we don't give up, God. And here we are saying, we will not give up. Everybody stand and say, I will not give up. Come on, just stand, lift up your hands and say, Lord, I will not give up. Come on, and just praise him. Just praise him. Just praise, him. Just praise, him. Just praise him. Come on. Just him. Come on, praise him. Praise him. Come on, the next 60 seconds.
3: saying that you are great, that you are worthy, that you are awesome. Oh, we give you the highest praise. Hallelujah, Lord. Let's just say that to them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. that we would never forsake times like this with you where we can get on bended knee and say Lord you are awesome and even if we might have a storm in our life or a turmoil or whatever it may we may face God I pray that we can still get on bended knee bow before your throne bow before you make it an audience of one with you Lord and just praise you Intimately get closer to you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you for this time, God. Let it be something we never forget, God. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Awesome. May okay, you find your ways to back to your seat. Back to the seats. During this time, we can uh, dismiss the king's goods may follow. Mrs. Le- Leilani over there. Hallelujah. It's so good to see everybody here today. It's so good to see you guys' faces. It's just amazing. We, got, we love you so much in this church, and we just, man, we just want to go after God together. Amen. Well, I am, my name is Ellie, and I am one of the pastors on staff here in our church. I'm actually the youth pastor. And today I get the privilege and the honor to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, man, I just tell you, it's a privilege and an honor because who am I to be able to share such good news with everyone? So um, if you have your Bibles, if not, you can look at the screen, but uh, here in the the word it's going to say... Acts chapter 4, verse 11. And I just want to say something in context before I read this. All of us here have had, we're all created by God. And we're created to have a relationship with the Lord. We're, We're created to have a relationship with Jesus, the Son. But we have all gone astray from the Lord. The Bible says that there is no one good, not one No one who seeks God. Everyone has churned. This is evident in how we have lived our lives and how we have sinned. Everybody here has committed a sin. It doesn't matter how good you may think you are. It doesn't matter if you were a Tibetan monk before. It doesn't matter if you were anything. Everybody here has sinned. But you see, the thing is that God loves his people so much. God loves you so much that he doesn't want to just see you turn astray and then go on the path to destruction, end up in hell. He doesn't want to see that happen. So what does he do? He sends his son into the world to die on the cross, to be a sacrifice for you and me. And that's what he does. And all we need to do is believe in him. All we need to do is just repent of our sins and say, Jesus, my sins are on that cross. You see, but the thing is that in our culture, it's not a very popular thing to be a Christian or to believe in Jesus. It's popular to think of anything that, you know, we like to do in our flesh. And then even then, we still think we're going to go to heaven at the end. We still think that we're good somehow. But look what the Bible says. It says here in Acts chapter 4, verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So I implore you today to find right now that this is salvation only through Jesus. It is not found in your spouse, because I've heard that plenty of times. Man, you saved me. Now I'm married and you saved me. It's not found in your children. It's not found in your professors in college. It's not found in your bosses at work. It's not found in false gods. It's not found in Allah. It is not found in uh, Joseph Smith. It is not found in Buddha. It is not found in all all that. It's found in Jesus. It says it clearly here. We have rejected him, but he has become the cornerstone. So what do we do in this place? We have to, what we were doing in worship, make that authentic in our lives. When we repent, when we confess, Lord, Jesus is Lord, we do not just say it all like, oh, like monotonous, like, oh, you know, Jesus is Lord, yeah, whatever, now I believe. No, but if you don't do it on your knees, at least you can do it in your heart. You say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to save me, Lord. And he does it. He listens to you and it's not like a long out process. When you do that, when you say it in faith, when you say, Lord, I'm a sinner, would you save me? He does it at that moment. He already died for, the, for you on the cross and it's already done. It's a done deal. All you have to do is just believe and repent. Amen? Everybody can stand up. And we're just going to pray right now. So if we can uh, bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, you are so awesome in the way that you pursue people here on, on this earth, Lord. How you pursue me, how you pursue the people in this audience right now, Lord. How you love us so much. Oh Lord, I just pray right now for those who have not known you those who have not received you, those who may have been following false gods, false idols, that they would just stop right now, that the words that just came out right now, the gospel that was just preached right now, Lord, that they would listen to it and they would take heed to it, Lord. They would call on your name. They would say, Jesus, would you save me? Lord, we just thank you for this time, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He is a God that saves. He is a God that loves. He does not just abandon his children. Hallelujah. If you received just that, 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 you know, just Jesus right now, if you received him right now, if you want to get closer to him, if you want to actually do it even further than that, I implore you to come up right here with Pastor Berto and Griselda, and they will just pray for you. It will be after the, the time of fellowship in the video, so you can just talk to them during that time, or you can ask them to pray for you. Amen? But now what we're going to do is we're going to recite our Confession of Faith, And this is something that we recite every week because it just declares our worldview, declares the things that we believe in the Bible and how the Bible impacts our lives. So on a count of three, we're going to repeat it. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the united church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. All right, guys, you may greet your neighbor.
4: you guys make your way back to your seat give your last high five who's excited to be here this morning welcome to metro praise international Woo. all right all right look to your neighbors say it's so good to see you here today welcome everybody we are so happy and excited that you decided to join us for service this morning our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. And then every Friday. Oh, that was a little too weak. Are we not ready yet? People want to give out more hugs? Okay, turn to your neighbor. Just give them a high five. We've got to get it out of our system this morning. High five. Other neighbor, high five. All right. Every Sunday's 10 o'clock. And then elevate. Come on, that's more like it. Wonderful. We want to welcome our first-time visitors here this morning. If you did not receive this at the door, this brochure, our ush- our ushers will hand one to you right now. Just fill out the bottom portion and drop it in the drop box. We would love to connect with you. We are honored and so, so excited that you came to join us this morning. And we want to announce to you our Thanksgiving outreach. We are so excited. This is our annual outreach. Come on, make some noise, clap it up. Thanksgiving morning, November 27th at 9.30 a.m. We are meeting right here. So if you want to come, come with your family, you and your spouse. If you're single, come by yourself. Bring some friends. We want to meet here at 9.30. And we're going to head out to Ohio Park. And the outreach is being hosted by Universal MB Church. And we've been partnering there with them for a few years now. And then before we would go out. And uh, so we've been going out there for at least seven years for Thanksgiving outreach, if not more. So join us that morning. We want to just go out strong. And the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. So we want to make sure that we're giving on that day. Amen. And we are thankful for all that God has done and given to us. And we want to give back to the community, preach the gospel on the streets. The Bible says that if you, um, if you refresh others, you yourself will be refreshed. So if you need a refreshing in your life, let's go refresh the Ohio park community. Amen. Come on. Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. Somebody say loving God. Loving people. And that's our vision, and we strive to do that with everything inside of us. And then our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to the church and to Jesus through our life groups. If you could wave your hand out in the air, please, if you received that handout. Wave it in the air. On the back of that paper is our life group schedule. Look through it, read it, soak it up, memorize it, do whatever you got to do to understand what we have available for you throughout the week. And so right now, we're going to give you a snapshot of what's happening starting today. So this is what's happening at Metro Praise starting today. We have our single men. Make some noise. 18 years and up, they're meeting here at 3.30, and they're going to head out to Nini's Deli. So there's nothing better than some food in a man's belly. So they're going to have fun. And then our single mamas are meeting today as well at 5 p.m., Childcare included. Wednesday is our King's Kids Life Group. And so all the children, infant to 11 years old, their program here at 630 every Wednesday. Um, you could drop them off, stay with them, or just come back and pick them up at 8 o'clock. So we want our children, every single child in the church, to be a part of this Uh, weekly program. Friday, we have two adult life groups happening, one at the Govea's house, one at the Walker's house. Both are starting at 7 p.m. with childcare included, 18 years and up. And then Saturday, we have our evangelism, all ages, 5 p.m., meet at the church, Chicago for Jesus. Come on. So find a place to belong this week. Don't let this week pass you by without going somewhere, okay? And then we want to mentor you. We want to take you through our 101 book, which is called Welcome to Your New Life. And this is seven steps to your spiritual growth. So if you're new to the church, we want to disciple you. There's leaders that are ready and willing to take you into their arms and just love on you and help you to grow in Jesus. And then after that, we want to take you to our 201 class. You'll graduate. Come every Sunday morning with Pastor Jared, and this is a disciples that make disciples, and we want to raise you up to be a leader, and then we want to send you out so that you can win others to the Lord. And our goal here is to have 100,000 disciples with 50 churches in Chicago and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do that, say amen. And if you want to be a part of it, say amen, because we can't do it without you, okay? So look to your neighbor, say, I don't want to go if you don't go. Look to your other neighbor and say, you're coming with me. Amen. Chicago for Jesus, that is our heart. At this time, we are going to prepare to uh, learn about tithes and offerings. We have been going through the uh, giving book the whole year. So we're coming to the end of the quarter here, and we've just been learning so many awesome nuggets of wisdom and learning how to put God first in our finances. And right now we're in section four of the book, Ten Hindrances to Overcome to being a generous giver. So you can go to mpichurch.org and find it in our blogs, or you could go directly to givingbook.org. If you could please turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10. The title of this morning's lesson is Overcoming Unbelief. And since the whole section is about hindrances, I'm going to give you a definition. A hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. And if there's something in our life, the hindrance that is in us, that's preventing us from obeying God fully, we need to get rid of it. Amen? And today we're going to be talking about unbelief. So let's read. Matthew 3.10, Malachi 3.10, excuse me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Somebody say praise him. Three main points from this passage of scripture. Number one, do you believe God commanded the tithe? If we don't believe God actually wants us to tithe, then we won't do it consistently because we look at it as more as paying a bill. And no one likes to pay bills. How many of you guys agree with that? However, if we really believe God commanded us to give 10%, we will joyfully do it. And here's the difference between resentful obedience. God doesn't want our resentment. Ugh, I got to pay my time. Ugh, if I just didn't have to do it, I would have more money. Ugh, I could pay my cell phone bill. God doesn't want that attitude. You're not doing God any favors, okay? So he wants us to do this how? Joyfully. Come on, number two. Do you believe God will bless your giving? Sometimes we think, God is just wanting to play make-believe with us. Thus, we don't pray with faith to earnestly receive his best in our lives. However, if you truly believe your seed will meet your need, then you will give expecting a bountiful harvest from God. We need to be believers that are expecting great things from God. When we put him first, when we obey his commands, when we follow him wholeheartedly, we need to expect that God's got our back, that he is not a man that he should lie. He is going to meet his word. Amen? Amen. Number three, do you believe in heaven? Many people, even Christians, forget that there is an actual place called heaven where God can open the floodgates and pour out blessings. Therefore, if more people believed in heaven, they would store more treasures there than just on earth. Well, that is where our eternal treasures need to be stored. Everything in this life is going to fade away. Our eternal rewards are in heaven. That's where we want to store our treasures. Come on. Here's the summary. Overcome unbelief in giving by putting your faith in who God is and what he promised to do. He is faithful. Number one, how do we apply this to our life? Be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, and your offerings, anything after you give your tithes. Two, repent if you have not trusted and believed in God's word concerning giving. Three, ask God to increase your faith for both giving and receiving in his kingdom. Stand up to your feet with me this morning, and let's confess this powerful word over our life. I hope many of you guys have been getting blessed. I know those that have been faithful tithers for years and years are getting some fresh nuggets. And for those that are new to the church, and tithing and giving offerings is a little foreign to you, these messages, let them soak into your heart and take root there, because God wants everything inside of you to belong to him. And if, we, if he can't have our finances, then you're not going to let him have a lot of other areas in your life. On the count of three, one, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Come on. So we're going to prepare to receive our tithes and offerings at this time. Again, we believe at Metro Praise that a tithe is 10% of your total income. Anything above that is an offering. And on the envelope, if you could please designate specific amounts. Tithe amount, and then our offering is designated towards missions or building fund. Be very specific in your amount where you want that to go. And again, we're in the middle of a uh, missions fund we're raising money twenty thousand dollars through the end of the year to go to the Philippines. Thank you for your generosity for your faithfulness first to God and what he told you guys to give in your mission pledges as you saw last week we are very very close to meeting our goal so let's recite this uh, scripture acts twenty thirty five the Lord Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive let's pray Lord we thank you so much that you are not a man that you should lie. That your promises are yes and amen, and they are true. And when we remain faithful to you, you will remain faithful to us. So I thank you for every tither and giver and generous giver in this place. I pray that you bless them and prosper them. Open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing upon them that they don't have room enough to receive it. I pray for raises and favor on their jobs, promotions. God, open doors of employment. God, that they will be able to be leaders and movers and shakers in the, in the society. And I ask that every single gift that will be received today that we will use it for your glory so that souls could come into your kingdom that the city will be saved the nations will be saved in jesus name and everybody said amen Amen. please come forward as you give this morning joyfully unto the lord
5: Amen, amen. If you want to learn about Jesus today, can I hear an amen? amen? If you want to learn about what Jesus said about you, can I get a woot, woo? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Crispy and clean, you know what I mean. Loving Jesus Christ is the real thing. I'm so happy to be with you. I was in New Orleans Monday through Friday having fun and preaching over there. Uh, The Raven Team Ministry wants me to send their uh, blessings back to you. That's who I was working with. Went out to Bourbon Street, preached the gospel. Also went out and caught a sunburn while I was trying to fish, but I did catch a couple fish as well, so it was fun. God is good. I'm so excited about today. Today because today is where I've been really wanting to go in this new series. The last two messages have really been building the foundation about who we are in Christ. If you look at the screen, this is the series we're in, Your Identity in Christ. Can we say this together? One, two, three, Your Identity in Christ. And uh, look with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We want to read the scripture. I want to review what we've learned the last two weeks, and then I really want to get to the meat of this series. Y'all ready? Okay, let's do it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they're messed up, jacked up, and still a sinner until they go to heaven. But they go to church every week and play make-believe. Is that what it says? No, read it with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Amen. How many got some newness today? Praise God for a new life. How many got a new life? I have a new life. Many of you here have a new life. Some of you are still deciding if you want to trade in the old one for the new one. We want to say today to you, if you're on the borderline, make a trade with Jesus. Trade your little dirty penny for the wealth of heaven. Sometimes I just think about that example that a child may have a little penny that they found on the ground and it's dirty and they're putting it in their mouth. And, and, and the parent says, don't do that. I'll buy you something. And they just don't want to let go of that dirty little penny. And yet mom and dad want to buy them something nice. And I feel like if you take that example even to the next level, people want to play with their dirty penny. And God is wanting to give us the riches of heaven. We want to have a life our way, right away, and do things our way. and yet God is saying this is a filthy life. This is a dirty life. I have eternal life. Let's make a trade. You just have to give up everything you are for everything he has. See, that's the trade. You can't keep part of your life and get part of his blessings. It's all or nothing. You're either new or you're old. How many new people do I got in this house today? Amen. That's why we are here to live that new life. That new life doesn't just start when I get to heaven. I don't need to overcome sin in heaven. There is no sin to do in heaven. I need to learn how to overcome sin now. Amen. Amen. I don't need money in heaven. There's everything is paid for. The gold, the, the streets are made out of gold. But I need money now. I need to pay bills now. Is anybody with me? You know, we pray for God to bless us, but just a prayer alone is not going to get your rent paid, your house mortgage paid. You need to put some greenbacks in their hand. Am I not right? Of course, we got to pray to receive those things, but we need to learn how to receive those things. Not just pray, but receive. Amen. I'm not just throwing out prayers in the wishing well. I hope you don't look at the offering here just like you throwing something in the wishing well. Isn't it something that today's message, go to the, the title please, is do you believe? Today's message is what? Do you believe? And then the, the giving message is do you believe? Overcoming unbelief. Do you know that I planned that giving message over a year ago? And yet it fell on today, today's message of believing. The same way we believe God for our our spiritual life is the way we believe God for our finances, our family, and our marriages. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. Now keep looking at the scriptures. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17 in a modern version. Just something to help you a bit more understand what the newness means. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? a new person. See, new creation. Sometimes we may get lost in that. What does that mean? I'm a new creation. Am I, am I now like some cyborg for Jesus? Am I his new invention? Is he, is he tinkering around with me like I'm Pinocchio? Am I, am I now part alien or something? No, here's the, here's the meaning of creation in the New Testament. It means you're a new person. That means everything about you as a person, your mind, will, and emotions, the way you think, act, and do things is different. The old life is gone. A new life has what? Begun. When did it begin? The day you accepted Christ. Now, if you are here today and you're living the same life that you have been living ever since uh, you've been born, then probably you haven't been born again. But if you're here today and you say, well, I've been born again. I know that was real. God really changed me. But yet you're not really living a different life today. You're backslidden. Okay? So there is no excuse today to live the same kind of life you used to be living. God is saying to all of us, live the new life. Now, everybody say a review. Now, this is where I want to review these last two lessons if you've missed it because these were really foundational lessons. Once again, you can always find our notes online, mpichurch.org. Here are the notes that I want you to take away from those first two lessons. Number one, knowing who you are. We preached that to start the series. We talked about there are only two kinds of people in the world. The Bible labels them sinners and saints. Can you all turn to these scriptures with me? Romans 5.19 and Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. How many kinds of people are there in the world? And what are they called? Sinners and saints. Is there a middle category called religious people? I'm just religious. I follow my religion. It, it, does that count? You know, what about other religions? Well, I'm a Hindu. I'm a Buddhist. D- does that make them in a different category? All religions, all people fall under these categories, sinners and saints. Is there a, a category called good person? I'm not really a sinner, a bad person, and I'm not a saint, a perfect holy church goer, holy roller, but I'm just a good person. I pay my taxes. I take care of my family. I go to church every now and then on Christmas and Easter. Is there such thing as a good person? No, because all have sinned, right? All have fallen short of the glory of God. Let's look at those scriptures quickly. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Guys, would you put it up there? Let's look at what the Bible teaches us about sinners. There's really no doubt from the perspective of heaven because God came to save sinners. So if a person says, well, I'm a good person, then that really means that you don't need to be saved and that Jesus wasted his blood on Calvary. Do you think that Jesus would have wasted his blood on Calvary? Do you think that if there was some other way to go to heaven, Jesus still would have came and suffered that way? If there was another way to heaven, Jesus wouldn't have had to come is what I'm saying. You all Jesus came because it was the only way of salvation. Here we go. Romans chapter five, verse 19. Are we we here? We got technical difficulties? Okay. Isn't it something how today when I really wanted to just use my phone, <laughs> this thing is messing up. And now can I borrow your Bible? Come on. Somebody say help the preacher. <laughs> Thank you. This never, this never doesn't work. Amen? It always works. It always works. Shame on me for relying too much on technology. Forgive me, Lord. Okay. Are you there in verse 19 of chapter 5? Thank you. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made what? Sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made what? Righteous. Okay, so that's working again. Thank you. So there's the sinner who is born a sinner because of what Adam and Eve did. That's the historical uh, problem that we find ourselves in. What Adam and Eve did now affects us. We are born sinners, and because of what Jesus did, we can be born righteous, sinners and saints. Everybody getting that? Okay, now turn with me quickly to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. If you stay in the state of being a sinner... You will be damned, the Bible says, and sentenced to hell based on your sins. You won't then just blame it on Adam and say, well, Adam sinned. I got a bad start in life. You know, it it was Adam's fault. No, you will go to hell because of the sins you chose. And that's when we talked about there's different sins that we all do. We all don't do the same sins. Some of you might have struggled with addictions. Others you might have struggled with bitterness and unforgiveness. Others might have struggled with pride and greed. Are you guys tracking with me? So we all then will stand accountable to God based on our own sinful choices, not just the sinful choices that Adam and Eve made. But it is true to say that because of Adam and Eve, we are born sinners. Everybody say sinners. Now, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul speaking to the church. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's saints, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So what does Paul consider the people of God who go to church? What does he call them? Saints. Is saint someone that has died and now has a statue and we all pray to? No, a saint, a holy person, hagios in the Greek, hagios is the Greek word for saint, literally just means holy person. Are holy people dead or are they alive? So when Paul was writing to that church, he says your church is full of holy people full of saints. Now go back to the notes please. Put this together, two types of people in the world. There are sinners and there are saints. Saints have been born again. Those are the ones who have repented of their sins and asked God to make them new. Which one are you today? Shout it out. One, two, three. Okay, most of you are saints here. Now look at number two. There are two kinds of saints. There are, there are two kinds of people who have been born again. When you look at Paul writing that letter, he says to the saints at this church. He also says it in other places, in Corinthians and so forth. But yet when you start to hear him talk to the people that are there, you begin to find out that some of them are living right and some of them are living wrong. Now, my old days of preaching, I would just say, hey, they're lost, they don't know Jesus, but that's actually theologically incorrect. There can be saints who don't live like Jesus, and that's sad, but true. They don't live to the potential that God made them to be, and those kind of people are called worldly Christians. Everybody say worldly Christians. In the old King James, it was carnal Christians fleshly Christians. So instead of living by the new creation that they are on the inside, by their spirit and their soul, they're still living by their flesh, by their senses, by the temptation in their lives. They're not resisting it. They're giving way to it. But yet they love God. And the the problem with them is that they're in a dangerous position because the Bible says they may lose their salvation. They may become lukewarm, Revelation 3 16, and get cast out of God's presence, literally spit out of his mouth. And also Hebrews 10, 20, says that if they continually lead that life of sin their heart will harden and face judgment so if you are here today and you're not serving God as you ought to but you say I love God you are in a contradiction and right now you need to start making your choice because by not making a choice remaining in that place you may very well backslide and be sentenced into eternal hellfire can I hear an amen but yet there are disciples, the Bible talks about, who actually live the teachings of Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean that they don't fall and sometimes make mistakes, but their heart, their intent is set upon following God in his word. There are worldly Christians, disciples. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3.3 3, and then Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. Somebody say, work the word. Amen. You got to come ready to do spiritual aerobics today. Look at this with me quickly. First Corinthians three, three. Ellie, would you also go back there and just help them today? I know there's some things that are out of their control, but if there was any day I needed that screen work and I have literally about 20 scriptures I'm going to go through and I want everybody to see it clearly because I could be funny, do illustrations and you go home and not know how to work the word. But if I show you the word today, it doesn't matter about my illustrations. It doesn't matter if my sense of humor was on or not. You'll never forget what you learned because you'll have the Bible with you everywhere. You won't have a little preacher in your pocket to make you laugh. You won't have a preacher in your pocket to explain everything. But if you can learn that word, if you can work it, whenever you read these passages again, you'll know what they mean. Amen? That's my job, and I love doing it. 1 Corinthians three three worldly christians look at what it says you are still what worldly for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you are you not worldly are you not acting like mere humans so this gives us an insight into how paul had to correct some people in his church he said, you guys are not supposed to be acting as mere humans living by your flesh. You're supposed to be living as new spiritual creations, sharing in the divine nature of God, being more than conquerors. But yet, because of jealousy, he doesn't say yet because of going to prostitutes and smoking drugs. No, he says yet because of jealousy. You have now lost that honor of being a disciple, and yet you're, and you're living worldly. So this shows us that our character does matter. That we just can't come to church and say, well, ever since I've been saved, I've been doing great because I don't kill anybody. I don't steal anymore. I don't go to the clubs anymore. Yeah, but if you deal with jealousy, if you deal with quarreling, if your heart's not right, you're still worldly. Because a little sin is still a lot of sin to God. How much anthrax would you want to bring home with you today, saints? How much strychnine would you want to put in your food as you're about ready to eat? Just a little? God looks at all sin as disgusting outside of what he wants for us. All sin brought Jesus to the cross. There should be no excuse for our sin or tolerating of our sin or or making excuses just to live with it a little longer. We should say I don't want to be worldly. I don't want to just be like a mere human who keeps saying well nobody's perfect pastor that's why I mess up all the time. Well it's time to stop living as a mere human and live as a child of the God of heaven and earth and overcome sin, the devil and temptation and be a world changer and a history maker and a roof breaker. It's time not to just be a mere human, living with mere human potential. Well, I'm just trying to change myself. Well, you and Dr. Phil will be trying for a long time, my friend, or you could just take one step to Jesus Christ and be renovated, be demolished and made a new creation. I'm not going to the junkyard of my life with a can of paint trying to fix it all up. I'm coming to Jesus Christ asking him to make something new that never existed before to be real on the inside of me. See, if you believe this, you'll start living like it. Amen? You'll stop hanging around the junkyard with your can of paint. You'll start coming to church with the word of God. You'll start believing that you're a brand new model. Amen? You're a brand new model. You are a new person. And it starts right now. It's time to live like it. Can I hear an amen to that? Go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. There are two kinds of people, sinners and saints. And then those saints are divided up among worldly Christians, those who act as mere humans, only in their own potential, not tapping into the power of God. And then there are disciples of Jesus Christ, followers Mathites in the Greek word for disciple means they are students and learners of Jesus. Do you know why we were first called Christians in the book of Acts? That historical account in the New Testament says they were called Christians, not by each other, but by the pagans of the world. Why did they call them Christians? Because the disciples lived so much like Jesus. See, now today in the church, we want to say no one's like Jesus. No one can be perfect like Jesus. That's why I can sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend because nobody's like Jesus. And that's why, you know, we can lose our tempers and cuss in traffic like everybody else, come late to work. And whenever they get on us, for they say, well, you're supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to be different. And whenever they talk to us like that, we can just say, well, nobody's like Jesus. Nobody's perfect like him. Well, that was quite the opposite of the New Testament. They said, you're so much like Jesus, we're going to call you Christians, little Christ. That's all that means. And it doesn't mean they were little gods walking around. There's only one God, amen, of heaven and earth. But it meant they were so much like him that they said, you remind me of him. The way you talk, the way you walk reminds me of that man from Nazareth. You remind me of Jesus. You don't remind me of Zeus. You don't remind me of Hercules. You remind me of Jesus Christ. That's why we're going to call you Christ-like christians the disciples were so good at following jesus by the power of the holy spirit not in their own strength that they were called christians look at it verse 19 of chapter 28 if you're there say i'm there therefore go and make church goers of all the nations that's what jesus said just go into the world and invite them to your church services Tell them to come on Sunday and give a little money in the offering bucket. Is that what Jesus said? Go into the world and make televangelists. Just people who get on TV and talk real fast like used car salesmen and try to get you to go to heaven by giving $100 for a new car. And you'll get this holy water to go with it. Just $7 shipping and handling. Send it now. Send it now. Send it now. Is that what Jesus said to go do? He said, go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey just the easy things, just the simple things. No, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then the promise comes to these saints, these disciples. He promises them, I will never leave you. I will be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus is with his church. Jesus is with his saints who are living like him and teaching others to live like him. Every church should be like Jesus. Every church should be made up of disciples that want to make other disciples. We should be a group of people that reflect Jesus in all that we do, except in one way. What is the one way that we will not reflect Jesus? We will repent of sin. Jesus never had to repent of sin, but yet he gave us instructions for the times that we did, so we will reflect his heart for us when we sin. and So even if we fall short of who he is, we will then reflect. Repent and look to the disciples and the Holy Spirit to be our example. So there's never an excuse to live any other way than like Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Look at your neighbor and say this is the first introduction. The second introduction was last week's message. Somebody say soul theology. Or another way of saying this is soul ology. So the the first week we talked about knowing who you are. There's sinners and saints, and there's two kinds of saints, disciples and worldly Christians. And then last week we talked about soulology, like who are you on the inside? How many believe you have more than what a rock has? How many believe you have more than what a dog has? How many believe you have more than what a chimpanzee has? Hello, somebody, you are made in the image of God. Your intelligence, the design of your heart and brain and mind is all evidence to this. And so when we want to try to understand the conscious mind, we want to try to understand what people call our spirit and soul, we need to understand that this came from the very breath of God in the book of Genesis. He made our bodies out of dirt. And that is why from dust we came to dust we go. But yet man was not alive at that point when he was just a clay model. He did not become a clay mo- uh, an alive uh, clay model until Jesus did what? Breathe his breath into him. And then the Bible says he became a living being, a living soul. Turn with me to John chapter 3 verse 3. This goes back to the scripture we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It is important to understand this is what Jesus' message was, to be born again. When you come to Christ, are you given a brand new body? Are you given a body to look like Brad Pitt or Arnold Schwarzenegger or whoever's hot right now, Vin Diesel? All these old dudes, I don't even know new hot guys. I would say somebody shouted out, but that would be weird. So we're not going to shout out some new hottie right now. Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus is talking. Let's read it together. Verily, truly, I tell you the truth that no one could see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So is that a physical birth? It is a spiritual birth, is it not? And then we talked about that our soul is connected to our spirit. We're body, soul, and spirit. The soul is our mind, will, and emotions, and the spirit is that which gives us life. And some believe that just your spirit was born again, but yet your body and soul remain full of sin and corruption. But yet I showed you and taught you throughout that lesson that literally the soul is renewed with Christ at salvation. That is why you are called a saint. He's not just speaking one day you will be a saint when your body dies and then you get to go to heaven. But now in your soul you are a saint of God. Your mind has been transformed. You have been washed clean. Can I hear an amen? to that and so turn with me to first Peter chapter 1 verse 22 and you'll see it so clearly I didn't get a lot of chance to get into the passages of Peter but don't you think if there's anybody who knew Jesus it would be Peter right? And if there's anybody who understood what Pete, uh, what Jesus was trying to teach about our souls and what we were on the inside, don't you think it would be Peter? And don't you think if there was anybody who would understand about being reborn and being transformed, it would be Peter? Because who was he before the resurrection? A man that denied Christ. A man that fell under the fear of man. But after Christ rose again, then sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, was he not a holy saint of God preaching for all to hear? So not only does Peter know Jesus. Not only does Peter know the message of Jesus, but he knows the transforming power of Jesus. That's why I encourage anyone, if you want to learn more about this subject, read the book of Romans and hear Paul's transformation. Read the book of Peter, hear Peter's transformation, or read the book of 1 John and hear John's transformation. These three men lay it out so clearly that it's obvious to all. When we're born again, we're born again in that soul and spirit. Look at 1 Peter one twenty two verse 23. If you're there, can you say I'm there? Thank you. It says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. When you heard the word of God, you were washed in your soul. Some people hear the passage of John 3, 3 as it goes on and says that you must be born of the Spirit and of water. And some people have said that that water means you have to be baptized. But that is not the water it's referring to. The water is the washing of the Word. We are saved by the Spirit of God. And what means does the Spirit of God use? The Word of God. And it literally purifies our mind. It purifies our will. It purifies our emotion. And makes our spiritual life renewed and reborn. Has anybody here been purified by the Word of God? Is anybody here born again by the Word of God? And is there anybody here living and enjoying the life of God by His Word? So that's our review. In in summary, just look at the notes, please, because this is where the message comes in. The Bible talks about we need to know who we are. Some people don't understand that message, so tell your friends. There's only sinner and saints. Then those who are born again as saints, they are to live as disciples, not worldly Christians. So let me encourage everybody here that's been worldly, everybody here that's been on a rat race of sin, you just can't get out. You're like on a hamster wheel going round and round. Let me tell you, God wants to make you a disciple. And then number two, what's going on on the inside of you? Why is it you feel God's presence now? Why is it you feel convicted when you cuss? Why is it you can't be angry at your husband or spouse the way you used to? Why is it you're compelled to give financially? When you used to look, look at people who gave to church as being suckers, you'd be like, oh, man, look at them. They're just suckers. They're not going to give to that church. But now you want to give. Why? Because God transformed your soul. You've been changed. Amen? Okay, now everybody say bring it on. Do you believe who God said you are, and do you believe you can do what God said you can do? This is the message now. This is it. And for the rest of the weeks, we're going to be dealing with things that I have talked about in our introduction and in this message. So you've got to get this down now. Do you believe it? Because the interaction between you and God is on faith. You are saved by faith. The Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. So if you want to live a life pleasing to God as a new creation, as a disciple, not as a worldly Christian, what are you going to need to have? Faith. Faith. And what is faith? It's the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not yet seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And since this is not a faith uh, series, I'm not going to be spending a lot of time on the the components and the dynamics of faith. I'm going to speak to you in a simplistic way of faith, which simply means do you believe what God said? Are you willing to trust what God said? Are you willing to lean upon what God says? The Bible says lean not on your own understanding, but in all you do, acknowledge the Lord, and he will make straight your paths. So I'm going to talk to you today about believing what God said about you, talk to you about believing what God says you can do, and that's the kind of faith definition I want you to have, is that you're going to lean on God instead of leaning on your own understanding. That you're going to trust God, like that fall that they teach you in school, to lean back and fall, and that trust fall and somebody holds you up, to lean and fall back into God's arms and to obey what he says because you believe it works for your good. Can I hear an amen? Thank you. Now there's two temptations that you will face the rest of your life from the devil. There are internal temptations that you will face from yourself. We've already talked about that in the book of James from your own fleshly desires. But today I want to talk about the main attack against your life that the devil will bring to you. The devil will not just bring to you suicide, the devil will not just bring to you demons to make you go crazy. Though the devil may employ those tactics and he may be involved in those kinds of things, but everything the devil does, you will see in the life of Adam and in the life of Jesus. In the life of Adam, the very first temptation, the devil comes and gets Adam and Eve to question what God said. He says, did God really say? So one half of the devil's main attack against you is going to get you to question God's word. Now, if this is a platform, if this platform represents God's word, if he can keep pushing me and pushing me and pushing me off of it, now things like suicide, now things like homosexuality, all of these things can come into my mind. Are you with me? But he's not going to start that way up here. He didn't start that way with Adam and Eve and all the sinfulness of this world. All he did is start with Adam and Eve was to question whether or not God had said those very things. Because if he could get them off of the foundation of God's Word and get them to trust in their own mind, other people's minds, or demonic minds, he could then lead them astray like a fish on a hook. Are you listening to me? Like the old saying goes, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. There's three types of people that will try to deceive you. Yourself will try to deceive you because you have a sinful body. Others will try to deceive you. The Bible talks about that. And then the devil with his demonic spirits will try to deceive you. But if you stand on God's word, deception can always be fought against. You can outlive and outfight deception. But if you are deceived and you come off of God's word, then you are prey for the roaring lion known as the devil. So I want to encourage you to believe what God said about you. Then the second half of, of his temptation is when he comes to Jesus. Now, he knows Jesus existed prior in heaven, so Jesus was not born at Christmas time. Jesus is the self-existing Son of God, but he came into flesh to die for our sins. Are you guys tracking with me? So when he comes to Jesus, he's not going to get Jesus to question what God said. He's going to get Jesus to question who the Father said he was, and that's why he starts off his first temptation with Jesus and says, if you are really the Son of God, then turned these rocks into bread. So what are going to be his two temptations towards us and all of humanity to get us to question what God said we can do and to get us to question who God said we are? Adam and Eve failed at their temptation. They failed and fell into sin, and because of that, we are now born sinners, and then we choose our own sin, but it all comes back down to not believing what God commanded us to do. Jesus however passed the temptation And he put the devil under his feet And spoke the word And he now is supposed to be our example Of how to live an obedient life Knowing who we are in Christ We are to follow Jesus' example And not Adam's example Can I hear an amen to that? Okay so let's look at the first temptation Genesis chapter 3 Verse 1 through 13 And here's the first question I want to ask you today As you're turning to Genesis 3 Verses 1 and onward Do you believe you can do what God said you can do? Now, it doesn't matter what stage you are right now in your Christian walk. You've got to answer this question. I was preaching in New Orleans, and I was telling stories about fellow pastors that I know who have cheated on their wives, and they've been married for years. I know people that have chosen to go a different path at all stages of Christianity. So I'm not trying to motivate you through fear. I'm just trying to tell you that at any time, if you stop believing in God's word for your life, you will fall into this temptation. How many know someone that has fallen to this temptation of not believing what God said they could do? How many know the devil has tempted you this way? Okay, look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 and onward. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Do you see how he lies right here? Was that the command of Jesus? And the reason why I always say Jesus, though he's not named in the Old Testament, is because we believe that there's only one mediator between man and God and the man Christ, Jesus. And I believe in what's called Christophanes, pre-incarnated visitations of Jesus in the Old Testament, because the Bible says no one has ever seen the Father and lived. So whenever God is speaking with man, I believe it's through the pre-incarnate Son of God, known as the Logos, the Word. Jesus is what he was given as he was born, but he has always been the Son of God. Can I hear him amen to that? He's the fourth one in the fire, which... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's the one coming from the ancient of days in Daniel chapter seven. He's the one standing alongside of the burning bush speaking to Moses. He is that one that appears to Gideon as the angel of the Lord. That's another discussion. So God makes him Puts the creation here in the garden. Puts man and Eve there and all the animals. Puts two trees there. One tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He tells them not to eat that. The other one is the tree of life. He says you can eat that along with all the other trees. But here comes the serpent. Being given the chance to tempt mankind, why do I believe that's important? Because God did not want to make robots. Love has to come with choice. And choices have to have consequences. So it's not that God desired us to fall, desired us to go to hell. He desired us to choose him. And even if humanity had to make the wrong choice and then some make the right choice, it was worth it in his economy instead of just making robots. So if you ever want to know why God allowed them to be tempted, it's because love must have a choice. Here comes the devil. Now look at how the devil twists God's word to to make it something untrue. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And then look what the devil says. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So this first temptation is, God is not the one in charge anymore. You can be the one in charge. Just eat from this tree, and you will know good and evil, and you won't need a God telling you what is good and evil. Does that sound familiar in our culture today? You don't need a God to tell you about sexuality. You get to decide who you marry, when you marry, if you ever get married. Isn't that what you hear today? You don't need a God to tell you about how to spend your money. You don't need a God to tell you about how to live. You can be your own God. You can decide what is good and evil. You see, the devil is coming with his lies. Yes, that part would be true. We would then become our own lowercase g, God, the old, our own uh, deciders of our fate. But the problem with his lie is that he doesn't tell us the other side of the story. That in so doing, we are destined for destruction because we will not always choose good. And the moment we sin, we will fall from grace. And yet the devil, he says these same things today. And I'll show you how in just a moment. And we still fall for it hook, line, and sinker. But we're going to be wiser than that, are we not? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good food and uh, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who also with her took it and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden how many know people are still hiding from god today trying to hide their sin with their money trying to hide their sin with their little fig leaves of education trying to hide their uh, hide their nakedness with religion but yet god still can find them and still finds them as sinners and no matter where you run you can't run from the god of the bible But the Lord God called to man, where are you? Now understand this, whenever God asks a question, it's not for his sake, it's for your sake. He was asking man, do you know what you've done? And do you know who you've become? And do you know what now is going to happen? That is all there in that statement. Where are you? He answered, the man did, Adam. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. See, many people now because of sin, they're afraid of God, not understanding that he's a loving father, wanting to draw them in. Their shame and their condemnation pushes them away. But then look what he said. Who told you that you were naked? See, they were naked before, but how did they not know? Because it was not evil to be naked. They were covered in the glory of God. Just like the luminescent light covers that light bulb. You don't see the glass. You only see the light. They didn't even know they were naked because the glory of God shone within them. But now because of sin they see their nakedness. And now they feel their shame. And who has become their greatest enemy at this point? Is it the devil? No, now their greatest enemy is a corrupted mind. Is a mind that has been corrupted because who told them they were naked? Not the devil. They told themselves they were naked and brought condemnation upon themselves. You have to understand that is the corruption of sin. You become your first enemy. Of course, the devil is involved, but now you are your worst enemy because of good and evil and the knowledge that's in your heart without God. This becomes confusion. That's why the Bible says the fool in his heart has said there's no God. You look at their double standards of morality, you can see a Hitler do what he does. It didn't take a uh, a devil to possess Hitler to do what he did. All it took was a human being without God to try to decide good and evil on their own. All it took was a human brain without the power of God to find out what man's depravity was about. The devil simply assists man in his own desire. I don't have time to get into how that works, but we'll keep going. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Blame shifting just like politics today, politicians today. This is all we have is a world of blame shifting. Blame shifting. I was in New Orleans. Guess what? Y'all remember Katrina? Remember all the money we sent down there? The mayor now there, Ray Ray Nagin, is in jail for stealing money that we sent down there for support. This is why we need to pray for God to be in our politics. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The serpent did what? deceived me and then I ate the first lie the devil wants to bring against you is did God really say he wants to deceive you he wants you to question God's word because he knows once he gets you off of the foundation of God's word you will destroy yourself and then a holy God will hold you responsible. You see, because if it was just the devil dragging you around, making you do things, how could God hold us responsible? If someone is being drugged around, let's say that you could put controlling vices in somebody and you could make them your robot and make them punch themselves in the head, make them pull a trigger on a gun. Could a judge really sentence that person to murder if they got caught? No, because what they would say is, this person made me do it. They put the robot arms on me. They controlled me with the remote control. They're the one that's at fault, right? Are you guys with me? And so if really all sin was, was the devil's doing, then when we got to heaven, all we would have to do is point towards him and say it's his fault. It's the devil's fault. He made me do it. But is that the story of the Bible? No, it says, you believe the lie the devil said, but then you did it yourself. See, you heard his deception, and then you acted on him. Go back to the notes, please. You ever heard the, under, uh, the illustration of the devil being like a roaring lion? Turn there with me to 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. How many want to live for Jesus? How many want to be holy? Amen. So we got to learn how to defeat the tempter, don't we? we got to learn how to tell that devil to go back to hell where he came from, living out the word of God. Amen? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. You'll now understand why he's a roaring lion. It, the Bible says here, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Is the sinner being spoken to here? No, why wouldn't the sinner need to heed this warning? Because they have already been devoured. They have nothing good left. There is nothing precious in their life for the devil to take. He has already destroyed their life. Their soul is headed to hell in the lake of fire and punishment with him. Who is the roaring lion going after? The sheep of God, the saints of God, those who have precious fruit in their life, those who have been connected to the vine of God, who are blessed, who are living holy lives, who are examples to their family. That's the one the devil wants to take down. He wants to take you down because you represent something that your neighbor doesn't. That's why sometimes Christians will go through more struggles and their their non-Christian neighbor may have a life of ease and it may appear that way. It's because the devil is throwing everything he has against you because he wants to destroy the Christ in you, the witness you have. See, that's why the devil comes against you. That's why the devil wants to fight you and come against you more than your friends who sleep in. Come on. That's why he's against your relationship, your marriage, than the one that's just shacking up. It's already messed up. They never made any vows together. There's nothing to lose or gain from that reputation. But the moment you got married, the devil's going to come against that marriage. The moment you dedicate your children to the Lord, the devil's going to come against that because he wants to show God, you can't have saints down here. I'll deceive them all to believe what I say, and then they'll sin on their own. And this goes into another philosophical question, which is if the devil already knows he's condemned going to hell, why is he fighting so much? Here's my belief behind that. He's trying to bring as many to hell as he can so that on judgment day, Jesus will change his judgment because he's seen that he's lost the majority of humanity, and then he'll have compassion on the devil with them. So the devil says, let me get as many as I can. You know, just like your friends back at the job. All of us don't like you. We, we got to tell you that. You see, they just can't say, I don't like you. They got to say, we all been talking about you. See, they got to they gotta build a big case against you, like your family. It's not just your cousin don't like Your cousin, your uncle, your aunt, everybody I talked to at the reunion don't like you either. See, it's just like the devil. He just don't want to come before God and say, us demons, we're the only ones. No, he wants to say, see, I got this one, I got that one, I got this church kid, I got this pastor, I got this person, this person, this person. Come on, God, now now you've got to recognize our complaint against you. We, We all think you're unfair. We all think your code of justice and righteousness is just not fair. See, this devil is coming after us because he knows that we're the saints of God, that we're the ones that have been called to be different. Can I hear an amen? So how does he come through this temptation? You've probably heard things like this. Go back to the notes. This is what he may say to you. Did God really say you couldn't have sex? Come on, young people. Did God really say you couldn't have sex? Did God really say that you would always be hurt in life? Did God really say you'll always be alone and suffer? You see, what he wants to do is discourage you by over-exaggerating things just like he did in the time of Adam and Eve and get you to question if God is a good God. So when he says something to you like this, did God really say you couldn't have sex? You say, no, devil. He said, I could. I just can't have sex outside of marriage. Did God say you're always going to be hurt, busted, and disgusted? No, he didn't. He said he would heal my broken heart. Did God say you would always be alone? No, he didn't. He said he would never leave me nor forsake me. Turn with me quickly to Ephesians six seventeen. What we use against the devil is the word of God. But you have to know the word of God to use the word of God. So if you don't read your Bible and study God's revelation to you, you're going to be confused and able to be easily tricked by the devil. Hence the reason where to be disciples. Disciples are not just the best dressed people on Sunday. Disciples are not just the ones who shout the loudest. No, disciples are the ones who know God's word and live accordingly. And they have the blessing of God. Look at Ephesians 6, 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, the devil's the spirit. We need a sword that's spiritual. So what do we use? The word of God. What do you say to the devil when temptation comes? The word of God says. And you believe it and you live on it. Don't make the same mistake twice that Adam and Eve made. Don't let the devil talk you out of what God said. You see, it says uh, Eve corrected the devil, but yet she didn't have enough trust in God to stand on what God said. See, some of you know what God says, but you don't believe what God says. See, you can understand what I say. I could say, I'm a millionaire. Do you know what I just said? Yeah, you know what I just said, but do you believe what I just said? Hello? I could say, I own a mansion. You know what I just said. What did I just say? Well, he said he owned a mansion. But do you believe that I own a mansion? See, there's a difference between just mental, cognitive acceptance of something and actually believing it and relying upon it. The old example I always like to give is the man who went to the circus. He rode on that little unicycle on the tightrope. And by the way, I think there was somebody that did a tightrope right over here, didn't they? Let's use him as an example. So this guy, let's imagine him. He goes there and he does the tightrope thing. Everybody cheers. Now imagine if he looked into the camera and said, Now next week I'm going to put somebody on my shoulder and we're going to do it together and I'm going to be blindfolded. And, And how many of you guys would like to see that? Now imagine all the crowd start shouting, Oh yeah, we would like to see that. I mean, it was crazy you by yourself. Now you're going to put somebody on your shoulders. Okay? Now all of us could, and then you could say, Do you believe I can do it? And all of us could say, yeah, I believe you could do it. But what if he pointed to you now and said, I want you to be on my shoulders? See, there's a difference between make believe and real belief, there's a difference between knowing, and there's a difference between showing. Imagine, he says, now you really believe, get on my shoulders. See, we could say here all day, I know what God said about sin, and I know what God said about this, and I know what God said about marriage, and I know what God said about that, but are you living it? Are you in the arms of your shepherd letting him lead you through life, or are you still trying to do it your way? See, that's what we need to make a decision today to do. It's know the word of God, because, yes, we need to study it, know it, but then believe it and act on it. Can I hear an amen? Let's go to the next point, getting close to closing right here. What was Jesus' temptation? The one the devil came to him. Turn with me to Luke 4, chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. The devil comes to Jesus after he's baptized. Jesus has been fasting in the desert for how many days? How many? Forty days. There he's fasting. He's hungry. And the devil comes to him and begins to tempt him. Look at this uh, scripture, Luke 4, verses 1 and onward. And as we get ready to read it, I want you to ask yourself this question. How does the devil tempt me in the same way he tempts Jesus? Because he's still tempting in these same ways. He doesn't have any other tricks up his sleeve. This is it. He wants to get you to doubt what God said like he did with Adam and Eve. And he wants you to get to doubt who you are just like he did with Jesus now understand the theology behind this jesus has always existed jesus now comes in the flesh and now he's hungry before jesus was ever born in the flesh was he hungry in heaven no so now the devil wants him to question his identity how does this apply to our lives it applies to our lives that once we're born again we're new in sinful flesh but the devil wants us to question are we really new See, the devil wanted to question Jesus. Are you really the son of God? If you are, then prove it. And then he says those same kind of things to us. If you really are a child of God, then prove it. And the proof that he wants to set up is only proof that will make us fail and fall short and condemn ourselves. Look at the scriptures. Jesus, starting in verse 1, full of the Holy Spirit. How many here are full of the Holy Spirit? So we look at Jesus as our example, do we not? Isn't Jesus our example? He left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. For 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Do you see the temptation? The first words out of the devil's mouth to Adam and Eve was, Did God really say? The first words out of his mouth to Jesus are, If you are the Son of God. Tell this bread to become stone. Jesus answered, it is written. Everybody say written. He speaks the word. See, Jesus' reliance upon the word shows us that, that if he used the word, how are we supposed to avoid temptation? What are we supposed to use? The word, Jesus says, written, man should not live on bread alone. The devil then led him to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Now you notice here Jesus does not argue with the devil. He doesn't say, well, the devil, you really don't have authority here. No, he understood that at the time of the garden, we had given mankind authority to the devil, and Jesus was there to take it back. That's why in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, he now declares all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Why was that important? Because God is all all powerful. Why would Jesus have to get the power? Because he gave it to a man, and man is the one who kept the keys. Jesus had to come as a man to get the keys of authority back are you listening to me? Otherwise God would have had to destroy the universe and apply a different set of laws. But he put gravity here as a law. He put the laws of physics here. And he also put the laws that men will rule this earth. And if men give it to the devil, then the devil will do it through those men. But if Jesus comes as a man, then he will have the authority. That's why he is the king in the lineage of David, the Messiah who forever reigns. He's not just a spiritual king. He's an earthly actual king. And when he comes riding on a white horse, it will be real and the hooves will trample on people's head and his sword will be a real sword not just a spiritual sword are you listening to me hello somebody he said it's written worship the lord your god and serve him only the devil then led him to jerusalem the highest place and said to him if you're the son of god once again tempting him by his identity throw yourself down from here but he said it is written he will command uh, because the devil now speaks the word how many know the devil knows the bible How many know Jehovah Witnesses know the Bible? How many know cults know the Bible? Right? So the devil uses this to twist it. He says he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to test. He properly understood the word and interpreted it. Just because you have the Bible doesn't mean you actually have the belief in the Bible the way Jesus meant it to be. Belief has to be foundational for the truth that Jesus spoke. Amen? And that's another discussion, how to work your word. But that still goes back to studying it and knowing it. Verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until a more opportune time. Would you please go back to the notes? I want you to think about how the devil will tempt you like he tempted Jesus. The same way he came to Adam and Eve and gave them a temptation of questioning God's word, it's the same way that he will come to you and get you to question your identity. Are we not children of God when we're born again? He knows that, doesn't he? Did he know not, didn't didn't the devil know that Jesus was the son of God? But he wanted to see if Jesus believed it in his place of humanity. See, you know you're born again, don't you? But doesn't the devil want you to question it in your time of hardship, in your time of temptation, to get you to question if God is really who he said he was and if God really changed you? Here's how he may tempt you. If you are a saint, then prove it by never sinning again. See, if God really changed you, then never sin again. If you're really a saint, then you should never be tempted See, you have these desires. It proves you haven't been changed. If you're really a saint, then you should never have problems in your life. Have you ever been tempted as a Christian and then felt condemned even before you sinned because you just had the thought of temptation? Have you ever been in the position of having problems as a Christian and then all of a sudden you felt that something was wrong with you? Like, why am I having problems? Aren't problems supposed to go away? Have you ever felt yourself as a Christian the moment you sinned as if you had blown it beyond any uh, forgiveness of God and it would be better just to go on as a sinner? You see, these are the things I deal with as a pastor. See, most people that are not here on Sunday are not because they denied God and they got a 666 on their head. They're not here because they believe they blew it so bad that it can't show themselves here today. They believe that because now that they've sinned, God doesn't love them like the day before. See, because they want, uh, the devil has gotten them to question their identity. But what do we say if the devil says, oh, you're a Christian, you should never sin again? We can say in 1 John 2, verses 1 and onward, yes, that's correct, I shouldn't sin. But if I do sin, there is a propitiation for my sin, and not only mine, but for the whole world. If the devil says to us, well, why are you even getting tempted then? You should be so perfect. You shouldn't even have that crazy thought. Therefore, you should act on it because you're just dirty and filthy. No, we answer back to the devil. The reason why I have these thoughts is because I'm still in a sinful body and they have sinful desires, the members of my body. But I can count it crucified with Christ and live holy in Jesus' name. If you find yourself in the midst of problems and the devil makes you question whether or not Jesus is on your side because you shouldn't have problems with your marriage, problem with your kids, problem with your finances, you could say, devil, you're a liar. He never promised I wouldn't have problems. Just said, through the world I could have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He overcomes the world, and I will overcome every one of these problems. You use the sword of the Spirit in the same way to defeat the devil in this temptation as you do in the other one. Would you come to the the keyboard for me, my brother? I found right here 120 scriptures that speak about who you are and what you can do. It's time for you to defeat the devil's temptation in your life by the word of God. It's time for you to stand on what God said you can do and start doing it. It's time for you to recognize that you are who God said you are. But the only way you can win this battle is by the word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes i got to encourage myself. And so I want all of y'all to get this list and let it intimidate you, let it blow your mind, and then I want you to start reading one a day. There's 120 there. Times it by three. You go through this three times in a year. You will never let the devil trick you like he used to you begin to believe what it says you look at it right here and you go I am God's child I've been born again I have Jesus atoning sacrifice so you gotta get excited see I'm gonna tell you how I encourage myself I am purified cleansed from all sin I've been born again into a new life I'm born of God he's my father So you got to get excited and believe it. you got to look at the Word of God. Number 51, I am dead to sin. I am victorious. Come on, say I'm victorious. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm alive with Christ. I'm raised with Christ. I'm His faithful follower. I am the light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. I am called of God. I'm brought near by the blood of Jesus. I am more than a conqueror! Woo! number 90 I am God's workmanship I'm being changed into his image I am one with Christ I have all my needs met I have the mind of Christ I have the gifts of the spirit I have guaranteed inheritance I have abundant life I have overcome the world I have power to control my thoughts I have access I said I got access to the father Oh, come on, somebody. I press towards the goal. I forget the past. I'm going forward. I said I'm redeemed, 42, from the curse. I'm strong in the Lord. I'm holy and without blame before Him. I am blessed. I said I am blessed. I said I am blessed. I'm a saint of God. Woo! Would you stand to your feet? Give God some praise. Come on, band. Come on, saints. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As the band and altar workers are coming, how many want to believe that today? Woo! Yeah. I believe that. I don't know how you got to encourage yourself. I don't know if you got to become some southern preacher. From the south, old gospel time religion. But you gotta learn how to get out that list. Go to the word of God and said, I am who he said I am, and I can do what he said I can do. Come on, say that with me. I am who he said I am, I can do what he said I can do. One more time, say, I am who he said I am. I can do what he said I can do. Woo! You've got to be able to tell that to the devil, yourself, your neighbor, your co-worker, your past. You can go back to Facebook and delete all those crazy pictures because that ain't you no more. Hey, Amen. That's not you. You're a new creation, and God is wanting us to believe it, to not let that slithering serpent get us to doubt it. So our problem today, saints, is not even a problem with the devil. Our problem is lack of belief in God. Do you get what I'm saying? Our problem is with a lack of belief in what God said about us and what God said we can do. We're going to close out in prayer today and worship singing He's our cornerstone. And as we get ready to do that, I'm going to ask you, if you want prayer to build your faith to be all that God called you to be, would you let our prayer workers pray for you today? If you're saying that I get it, but I need encouragement, can we pray encouragement for you today? And then can I ask you this week, if you haven't joined 101, to do it. Because that's going to build your faith. If you haven't joined a life group, to do it. To build your faith. And then lastly, I want to ask you to tell the world who God made you to be. Because the Bible says in the book of Revelation, when it's all said and done, that we overcome him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our life even unto death, that we'll give it all up for Jesus. Amen? And your friends and your neighbor need to hear that. And I want you to come back next week with them because we're just going to get better and better and gooder and gooder. I said we got until the end of the year to preach this series. I want at the last Saturday, or Sunday rather, I want everybody walking in here quoting some of these things to each other. God bless you. How are you doing, Saint of God? How are you doing, Overcomer? I'm doing great. I'm blessed and highly favored. Are you healed? I know I'm healed. You know, I want us to get it in our words and speak like Jesus. Amen? Woo! Let's close in prayer. Father, I gave them your word. We got excited about your word. Now I pray we believe and trust your word. That we won't just be like those watching the man on the tightrope, cheering and shouting, but not willing to get on the shoulders. I pray today that we'll get on your shoulders. We'll come into your arms, great shepherd, and let you keep us from sin. Lead us in victory. In the name of Jesus. If you believe it one more time, can I hear an amen? Would you bless him as you say it, amen? We're going to dismiss you now. If you would like prayer, would you come forward as the worship band sings? Slap your neighbor high five and say, Jesus is with you. Amen. God bless you. Jesus is with you. Band, come on. There he is. You can hang back and worship if you want. If you need prayer, come on. Otherwise, you are dismissed. We love you. Go in the new you. Amen.